Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. And this is a very special episode because not only does it mark a new year in 2022, it's also the 4th anniversary of this podcast. So usually on the anniversary show, and also for the new year show, I'll do a mix of just a few of the most recent news stories, and then also go through some of like the best of for our scripts, tricks, and tips from the last year. This year I'm going to do a little bit different, just because of the way that the holidays were falling this year, and the sheer amount of excellent scripts, tricks, and tips that I've covered this year, I'm instead going to cover some of my news highlights, what I felt were the biggest news stories of the year that I've covered on the show, and also some of the great scripts, tricks, and tips. And of course, none of this would be possible without my excellent sponsors, and that includes ControlUp, Liquidware, and PolicyPack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. Now let's get started. Same as it ever was, same as it ever was. 2021 was another year of big InfoSec-related news, with the most disruptive being the SolarWinds hack, which actually took place in 2019 and broke as a news story in December 2020. And it went on with more details getting disclosed throughout 2021. If you did not hear those episodes of the podcast where I covered the story, just to catch up to speed, it was a supply chain breach. The hackers tapped into the development procedures and processes for the product to implement their malicious code and it went undetected for some time. Over 18,000 customers were potentially compromised in the attack, including Microsoft. While it was the most high-profile supply chain attack where malicious code was dropped into a legitimate product, it wasn't to be the last of the year. A popular library, the UA-Parser-JS library, which is used to parse a browser's user agent to identify a visitor's browser, engine, OS, CPU, and device type and model was hijacked to infect Linux and Windows devices with crypto miners and password-stealing Trojans in a supply chain attack. A developer claimed his NPM account was hijacked and used to deploy three malicious versions of the library. Due to the widespread impact of this supply chain attack, it was strongly advised that all users of that library checked their projects for the malicious software. In the SolarWinds case, it had been stated that the hackers guessed passwords, but kinda suspicious was that shortly after the month that the attackers were said to have breached the network, A researcher did report that credentials were disclosed on a public GitHub repository. So, you know, I can't say that was for sure related, but to me it seems kind of obvious. Ubiquiti disclosed a breach at the beginning of the year, and as luck would have it, it seems the investigation reached its thrilling conclusion in early December, with an employee getting charged with data theft and attempting to extort his employer while posing as a whistleblower and an anonymous hacker. According to an indictment, this employee stole gigabytes of confidential data from Ubiquiti's 
AWS and GitHub infrastructure using his cloud administrator credentials, cloning hundreds of GitHub repositories over SSH. Throughout the process, the defendant tried hiding his home IP address using Surfshark's VPN services. However, his actual location ended up being exposed after a temporary internet outage caused his failsafe to fail. Ubiquiti were also caught up in the relatively recent Log4J2 or Log4Net as it became known. And this was a vulnerability that also had very far reaching implications as so many different vendors and their products relied on this for their logging capabilities. I suspect this like SolarWinds story is going to continue to snowball into 2022. So to hear more updates about that, be sure to keep tuning in every week to the Five Bytes podcast. But there were so many high profile vulnerabilities during the year. Another example, the exchange vulnerabilities that led to a lot of attacks on large organizations. There were also so many high profile companies who got hit with attacks such as Ikea, Panasonic, Manchester United Football Club, the HSC in Ireland, and many more. But rather than spend too much time diving into each individual case, I wanted to highlight just a couple more of the egregious and wild stories instead that may have flown under the radar. They wouldn't have impacted your day-to-day in enterprise IT, but do provide some lessons learned about the threat of bad apples with too much access and not properly restricting access after employees leave. So first up, Vice had a pretty crazy story. The story went that a 26-year-old woman who used to work for the Melbourne Flight Training School resigned from her position of flight operations manager at the end of November of 2019 after the company fired her father. A few months after she resigned, it's alleged that she hacked into the systems of her former employer and deleted and changed records. The company noticed some maintenance information related to planes had been removed. Essentially, planes that were not safe for flights were suddenly appearing as though they had no problems. Vice reported that police investigators obtained information related to the IP address used to access that account and found it belonged to the accused. The investigators also subpoenaed Google for information about a Gmail account used to log into the Flight Circle app and found that the email address belonged to the accused family. It is claimed that they had no idea how she got a password to access the system and the accused has been charged with a count of fraudulent use of a computer and two counts of unauthorized access to a computer system or network. So we hear about all these like terrible vulnerabilities that could affect a lot of people and a lot of organizations, but really a lot of organizations, it's just money at the end of the day. In that case, deeming unsafe planes safe for flight is a matter of life and death. So pretty wild one. But also in another really twisted story, Home security vendor ADT confirmed a 35-year-old employee in Texas breached 220 customers' systems in a pretty disgusting way. BuzzFeed reported that when at the homes of some of his victims, while getting them set up, he would add his personal account for remote access and tell them that he needed to add his account temporarily just for testing purposes. He would then over time spy on his victims which was made up mostly of women who he found attractive. 
The prosecutor stated he viewed them while they undressed, slept, or had sex. In court records, one defendant claimed that this man was found to have accessed the home security cameras of her parents' home at least 73 times between 2017 and 2020, including her bedroom while she was still a teenager. ADT is currently facing three lawsuits and the perpetrator is facing up to five years in prison after pleading guilty to computer fraud. The company is continuing to respond to the lawsuits and has resolved the concerns of most of the 220 impacted customers, including those who have retained attorneys, to address the issue according to their statements. It was also a rough year for the cloud and service availability issues with Google Cloud Services having a major disruption that affected several popular services such as Spotify and Etsy. There were also multiple Azure disruptions, including one that prevented VMs from powering on, causing major problems for AVD customers. AWS recently had an outage that also affected a wide range of different services, including killing Roombas, the remote vacuum cleaners temporarily, and preventing people from being able to get their tickets to Adele concerts and more. Uh, Facebook had a very well-publicized and lengthy outage with popular kids game Roblox also probably taking the cake with a complete outage that went on for many days. So not a great year for the cloud. There was some pretty big and unfortunate news for Citrix. Um, Citrix acquired Reich at the beginning of the year for $2.25 billion which seemed like a play to further themselves in the productivity space and presumably to enrich the Citrix workspace's offering. At first, it seemed like developers were happy enough and the stock started to rise again, though not to the highs that they had experienced early on the pandemic, but around the midway point of the year, the stock then started to decline. In fact, the stock price in December hit almost 50% of what it was during its peak. Kind of later in the year, CEO David Henshaw announced that he was stepping down as CEO around the same time that CNBC and other outlets that were popular with investors started to report that Elliott Management were back involved as a stakeholder of Citrix. Then, just before Thanksgiving, Citrix let go of a significant number of its employees with rumors on the layoff suggesting it could be as high as over 1,000 employees. Sadly, some tremendous people who are incredibly talented were affected by this. As that happened still pretty recently, this could be an opportunity for any hiring managers listening to this podcast to reach out and hire some really awesome people. While it was a pretty bad year for Citrix, Microsoft have attempted to increase their slice of the VDI and DASPi by launching Windows 365 in August that promised some of the benefits of virtual desktops while catering for skill sets related to more traditional physical endpoints. So these desktops are one-to-one -one persistent desktops that aren't necessarily planned for constant rip and replace like typical VDI. Instead, it's like a traditional desktop that you boot up with an image and then manage it with tools like Microsoft Endpoint Manager on an ongoing basis from there. Azure Virtual Desktop also saw some improvements, including Azure Active Directory Join, that could mean using the platform without a need for a site-to-site -site VPN and connection to an on-prem AD instance. 
Microsoft also took a stake in Rubrik this year and acquired Nuance as well, though not much seems to have happened on the Nuance front as they are still waiting for this acquisition to get cleared. Windows Package Manager was launched, which I find to be pretty cool. RDC Man was revived thanks to the SysInternals tools. Uh, Microsoft also, obviously, big story is they released Windows 11 and Windows 2022. And uh, the latter has a really cool SMB Compress feature worth checking out amongst other products and offerings that uh, Microsoft also launched throughout the year. If you want to hear more specifically about Microsoft offerings and new features and products, I suggest you check out my Microsoft Ignite Highlights episode of the podcast. And you can find that at 5bytespodcast.com. Also covered on the podcast recently was the fact that F5 Networks have rebranded and they've now changed the name just to F5. And they said that this is to reflect the fact that they're expanding their focus on delivering and securing applications. So they previously bought ThreatStack for $68 million, and they also acquired Nginx. So it kind of makes sense that they're not just going to be purely network focused in future. So they're going to be expanding their offering, thus dropping networks from the name. It was a pretty big year for iGel or Eagle, who were acquired by an investment firm named TA Associates, which was interesting as ExtraHop was also acquired by a private equity firm. It seems there may be an increased appetite for investment firms in the tech space. iGel also announced a pretty major new partnership with HP, which sounds like it's actually going to be great for both because I think HP have been losing some market share in the thin client space and to breathe new life into them hey why not run Igel's operating system on there it's probably best in class anyway in some major news for my sponsors policy pack was acquired by Netrix, which is awesome liquidware launched their flex app one product that gives you portable application layering and continues to be the most feature rich of all layering products ControlUp launched several new products, including RemoteDX, EdgeDX, and Solve, expanding to physical endpoint management and monitoring, even when remote, and they announced a significant $100 million of Series D funding. And 2021 saw VMware finally spun off again from Dell, which was initially reported well over a year ago. And I did a pretty lengthy episode on VMworld announcements last year. And while it was a year with more EUC sessions at VMworld than I can ever remember them having before, the main focus seemed to be on embracing hybrid management for cloud resources and on-prem through vSphere and embracing containers and container management more too. And finally, on the news recap side of the house, I kid you not, but one of the most long-running stories of the year was that Microsoft broke printing in Windows 10 back in March and through a series of fixes and then further breakages, it's breakages a word? Well, <laughs> let's pretend it is. But basically they fixed a problem, broke printing, tried to fix it again, broke printing, tried to fix it again, <laughs> broke printing. Anyways, the problems occurred beginning in March all the way through October. It was crazy. And with that, let's go through some of the great scripts, tricks, and tips of the year. Several weeks ago, I gave the advice to follow Dennis Gundarev and Steve Saifus on Twitter. 
This is because Dennis has been tweeting some really excellent threads on things like remoting protocols and Windows sessions and going very deep on each topic. Steve has shared threads on Windows logins, multi-factor authentication, Kerberos authentication, and more. It is a unique and rare opportunity to learn about all the moving parts that work behind the scenes within the remoting protocols and more. So definitely check those out. On the topic of excellent Twitter accounts to follow for some excellent Microsoft content and definitely falling into the tips and tricks category, Jen Gentleman has been sharing some excellent tips and tricks for years. And if you haven't followed yet, now is a great time as she points to some of the more unsung features within Windows 11. Chloe Condon is another excellent follow on Twitter, and she shares some really great tips frequently, and not just purely on the technical side of things either. Like one of the sessions she did this past year was working on your resume. She successfully covers technical and soft skills that are just as important and maybe even more important for success in this industry. So definitely follow her and check out her excellent tweets. Katie Nicholson also had some top blogs on Microsoft Endpoint Manager covering topics like Autopilot, Windows Hello Single Sign-On, MEM for deploying to iOS, and more. And on the topic of MEM, just a quick shout out to Morris Daly, who has an amazing driver automation tool and has also published some really great content on the topic of MEM. And of course, Anoop Sinair, who has been belting out the hits too. The awesome Niall Brady created and shared a utility for safely and securely retiring a PC, which is something we all do in enterprise IT and even for our own personal machines, which of course our own personal machines because perhaps the PC in the name is a giveaway. But regardless, this is a tool that everyone can use, so check it out. Chris John Brinkoff has a really excellent interview series and shares some excellent content on Windows 365. But the one that caught Maya the most was a feature that he shared on Twitter that I was unaware of in Outlook. When setting up calendar invites, you can set it so it automatically shortens appointments by five minutes to give everyone a breather and a chance to not be late for their next meeting. Speaking of office tips, my buddy and colleague Tom Fenton introduced me to a feature in PowerPoint to help you reuse slides. So there's a search feature within PowerPoint that shows you previous slides that you worked on and you can quickly and simply inject them in to reuse in a new deck. Complete game changer for me, so thanks Tom. Kurt Shintaku recently shared a great Excel tip. You could take data from a single cell, split it out and paste it into new cells with a simple keyboard shortcut. And another Office-related one, Rob Woodgate has a how-to guide for adding a Microsoft Teams chat link to your email signature. A simple thing I discovered in Windows during the year that at first was a game changer for me but has become a bit of a mixed blessing is the ability to hide all the files on your desktop. I used to always create a single folder and just dump everything in there so I didn't look like a pig when sharing my screen on meetings and in webinars. With this option, I could just permanently hide everything and use Explorer when I need to access my files on the desktop. Unfortunately, it has led me to just dumping everything there, which is probably not any better. This next one was covered on an episode early in the year, but my buddy Andrew Morgan created a free cool utility called WallMesh or Wake on Land Mesh. 
It provides a web portal and REST API to allow admins to view power status of remote machines and power them on via other machines on the same subnet should they need to. Wall mesh can also be configured to keep devices online during certain times. So for example, if you set an online time between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., if a device goes offline, wall mesh will attempt to wake it up. Further, if devices are offline and the online time begins at say 9 a.m., wall mesh will attempt to wake all the devices and keep them awake. Also not new, but covered on the podcast this year was a great step-by-step guide on MSIX App Attach by Jeremy Moskowitz, who also has a really excellent step-by-step guide for AVD setup too. What I like best about his MSIX App Attach guide is the tip for getting a bunch of prepackaged MSIX apps to test with. A real time saver. Something I often use is viewdns.info, which is a site that allows you to look up any site for many different types of reports, like site owner info, IP location finder, reverse IP lookup, and more. Jason Fosin has an old blog and resources from 10 years ago, but it still has great value. It's a guide on PowerShell for blocking IP addresses and country network ranges. So if you want to block that kind of stuff with a script, this is really awesome. Over the last year, James Kinden had some really great cloud-based content. Chief among them, in my opinion, was his topic of Citrix MCS and using the Azure Shared Image Gallery. And he also had another great post on the use of Emferal Disks, which is cheap and performant. I could have picked so many scripts from Guy Leach from the last year, but I didn't want to turn this into the Guy Leach show. So to just stick with one, Guy had an excellent script that he shared for creating machines in PVS with PowerShell and provided the script together with Script Runner. So if you work with Citrix PVS, definitely check that one out. And not at all related to Guy's script, but something I find useful for Citrix PVS in particular, 2pintsoftware.com shared a DHCP and Pixie test utility. Since this can be one of the most common pain points with PVS when someone like dinks around with the network configuration, this could be a useful utility for you. A big win for all of us in the community this year is the Evergreen PowerShell module by Aaron Parker, the Nevergreen module by Dan Goff, and the Evergreen script by Manuel Winkel. They pretty much cover everything you could want for automated evergreen app downloads to complement your deployment and packaging needs. Sticking with applications for just a minute, but Tim Mangan deserves special mention for forking the package support framework and continuing to maintain it when seemingly no one else would. This is important for the continued progression of MSIX and also for MSIX, Tim has a free ebook that he launched in association with Advanced Installer on the topic of MSIX, so check that out. If you care about end-user computing and the community, and you want to be engaged and involved, get over to the EUC World Slack workspace. A personal favorite of mine over the last year is the 2000 Shodin site, which is a website that shuffles through a bunch of compromised publicly exposed systems on the internet. You see some crazy things on there like CCTV cameras that are live, utilities like a regional power grid or water infrastructure with a ransomware note on their screen. There's some really scary stuff on it. 
This year, Carl Webster had a really lengthy blog series that turned into an ebook where he shared some of the build information on his home lab. So if you'd like to set up your own home lab and emulate Carl's, you may find this very useful. Daniel Card shared resources for completing your own Active Directory audit to make sure your environment is as secure as possible. Johan van Amersfoort put out an awesome book a few years ago and this year has made it available online to all for free. This of course is the awesome free VDI design guide. This year I saw a really awesome free resource online called Cloud Comparer. You can, as you may have guessed from the name, compare different cloud platforms. And by the way, if it is side-by-side, feature-by-feature comparisons you're after, also check out whatmatrix.com for a lot more great comparisons. Patik Singh shared a really awesome guide for creating automated infrastructure diagrams for Azure. And while it was a big year for AVD, if you haven't played with it yet and you're curious, I suggest you check out Jim Moyle's excellent video series as an introduction. James Rankin had many great blog posts through the year. And just to highlight a quick one, his multi-part series on optimizing your Windows login is really in-depth and excellent. Also, maybe for the less technical out there, be sure to check out his YouTube channel as he has a really nifty top 10 keyboard shortcuts on Windows 10 that could appeal to pretty much everyone. And something I've relied on for quite a bit in the past is scheduled tasks. And this year, Xavier Plantaviv shared a great blog post on creating scheduled tasks on event using PowerShell. So I know this was a pretty long episode. It is not the normal format, but I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for another year of excellent support. Without your support and, of course, the support of the sponsors of the podcast, I would not be able to do this every week. Tune in next week when service resumes as usual. If you would like to check out anything that I mentioned on this week's episode of the podcast, you can go to 5bytespodcast.com and you'll find under reference links for episode 210. And Happy New Year, everyone.